Our second episode of Perfect Popcorn Needs a Boski, a Jim Brown, a Miss Daisy, two Jethro's, and a Leon Spinks, not to mention the biggest Ella Fitzgerald ever. That's right, boys and girls, we're looking at 2001's Ocean's Eleven. Get your popcorn ready. What I'm about to propose to you is both highly lucrative and highly dangerous. You want to knock over a casino? $150 million without breaking a sweat. Smash and grab job, huh? Slightly more complicated than that. Oh, yeah. He'll kill you, and then he'll go to work on you. Ah! Scared? You suicidal? You're a thief and a liar. I only lied about being a thief. Don't you check the batteries? Ocean's Eleven, rated PG-13, starts Friday, December 7th. to another episode of Perfect Popcorn. Now, for those of you who've never heard an episode of Perfect Popcorn before, it's one of our side series, another series that exists to take a look back at the movies we truly love. That regardless of box office, regardless of critical reception, we have a passion and a love for, and they're at the top of the list no matter what, they are Perfect Popcorn for us. And what's cool about this series is it gives us a chance to break down those favorite movies, talk about the things that we love in them, and again, celebrate kind of where we came from rather than looking at, you know, what's coming up, what's recently. And this one, David, I know you're very excited about this one. I'm pumped. This is this is a very exciting one for us. This We'll, we'll get into why, but we are talking about George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Steven Soderbergh in Ocean's Eleven. And, and we got the summary here. The summary of Ocean's Eleven came out in 2001. It says, Dapper Danny Ocean is a man of action. Less than 24 hours into his parole from a New Jersey penitentiary, the wry charismatic thief is already rolling out his next plan, following three rules. Don't hurt anybody. Don't steal anyone from anyone who doesn't deserve it. And play the game like you've got nothing to lose. Danny orchestrates the most sophisticated, elaborate casino heist in history. One of our favorite films. Your favorite film. My favorite film. David, as the historian, as the statistician, give us some details here. 2001, we, we, very, very, especially end of the year, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Rough patch for the country. You sure. Know? But, yeah, uh, so it was uh, what do we got? December 7th. Of 2001, so right right before Christmas. Okay. Um, ended up being, I think by most most accounts, a, a pretty big surprise at how well it did. Sure. Um, it did $183 million domestic for this type of film that's not like a big action movie. It's not part of a franchise. It did have, obviously, the original that it was adapted from. Right. But it's not like that movie's revered. The original um, Rat Pack. Now, if you ask Papa Williamson, it is. But we're talking the we're talking the Rat Pack: Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr. That whole for crew. sure. It's revered for who's in it, but not necessarily the quality of the That's film true. itself. That's true. It's not, um, not the best movie ever made. No. Um, but it made 183 million domestic, 267 million for a whopping, roughly 450 million worldwide, which is a massive number for this type of film it's not bad i mean it's a big obviously it's a big ensemble right it's big a big ensemble with big movie stars yeah but uh it's that's a 
It's a decent number. And yeah. Movie would be uh, reviews were, were solid. It was 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, sadly, though, despite its greatness, <laughs> it did not win any awards. Just no respect. No I think respect. It, I think it technically won to like really like way down the line awards. Like MTV Movie Awards or something like that. Yeah. It won uh, like Best Ensemble, I think it might have, um, for the screen actors. But... I can't remember really? if it did. That'd it was it was it won best ensemble for for one of the ones. I'd have to look up which award. I'll I'll tell you in a second. It what got it nominated for a couple of the the bogey awards. It got nominated for a bunch of like you said a bunch of tiny little awards. It got nominated in France, the France's mm-hmm. Oscars. It got nominated for best foreign film. So quality there. Um, uh, it, it was Critics' Choice that it won best acting. Ensemble. Critics' Choice. Okay, you know, so. shout out to the Critics' Choice. Yeah. So um, there you go. But not, not a lot. Not a lot. No respect from the uh, <laughs> the from, awards community. From nope. the academy, no respect from there as well. Which is kind of a bummer too, because it, you know this movie, in my opinion, it reinvented cool. You know, again for a new generation, and we were coming out of the eighties, coming out of the nineties where crime movies and heist movies were huge criminal movies, right? You got your Godfathers in the 70s and the 80s. You got Goodfellas, Casino, L.A. Confidential being a crime movie, Fargo, Heat. You know, those were big, and and, and they were violent, you know? Mm-hmm. They, were, they were bad people doing bad things, and people love watching that. But it kind of slowed down a little. It kind of got more morally gray and more nuanced. You had your Donnie Brascos, your Git Carters, uh, your I. Oh man, you know what a really good one is uh, uh, Wahlberg in the Big Hit, like just sure, crime, sure. right? Whether it be ridiculous or not. And they weren't making a ton of money. They weren't making a ton of reviews. And Ocean's Eleven really set the trend. Not that it hadn't existed before, but it really brought back. The trend of the quote unquote the nonviolent heist, you know, the rules that Danny lives by. You don't hurt anybody. You don't steal from anyone who doesn't deserve it. And you play the game like you got nothing to lose is, oh, these are guys that we like. You know, they have morals. They have a code. And it showed that you could do these movies effectively without the violence. Right. And then that, you know, kind of grew into now there's a lot of them. Now you got your the perfect score, your Italian job. You got now the now you see me movies, which are a couple of my favorite. That's like okay, magic, yes, heist, yes, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Mad Money, Tower Heist, even I mean, even look at Ant Man. Yep. You know, Ant Man and Marvel structured that whole thing. Both both Ant Mans about like we got to get the thing away from the guy because he's a a, the, a worse guy. Sure. And I thought it worked really well. Well, even Soderbergh revisited it with, uh, was it Logan last Lucky. year? Logan, Logan Lucky. Lucky. I think it was two years ago. Two years ago now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I think it brought back this idea. One, um, of, I mean, you, you always had moments when you rooted for the bad guy. I mean, who were you rooting for in Heat? Right. You, and see, that's the tough one because I was always rooting for – I always want – when De Niro goes to get Wayne Grove, it's like, no, yeah. don't do it, De Niro. You can yeah. get out. And it, he just you – don't, you don't – as much as you want Pacino to win, you don't want De Niro to lose. Sure. Yeah. Well, and even if you go to like, you know, like Casino and Goodfellas, like – Right. You're not necessarily root, rooting for all these guys to get caught. Right. But at the same time, like there's some – 
really bad people in there that oh yeah you know you always have that like less guilty one i guess sure. that we're kind of trained to like be invested in but yeah you like, look this at was, like reservoir dogs but you this know? one was one where you were like truly like rooting for these guys right like, the all of them all of them all of them and, Not and, just... and the bad guy that you were rooting against was technically the like, you know the owner that was gonna get you know, millions taken. From exactly. Me. You know, where, whereas a reservoir dogs, you like this guy and you like this guy and this guy's a psychopath and this guy's a weasel. You like everybody here. Yeah. But in, and in, I feel like in a lot of those movies, too, like you don't really get a whole lot of view of like who they're taking from. Like, sure. There's not a lot of time spent on like the innocent. Right. We're just robbing a bank yeah. or we're robbing a, cause a jewelry store or whatever. Yeah. This one actually does give a. Like you said, a villain, a good old Andy Garcia, Terry Benedict. Exactly. <laughs> but I think the other thing that this did was, um, you know, and this kind of goes into like my memories of it, too. But I remember seeing it. I think I saw it like Christmas break of 2001. Um, I was going to ask. So it, I don't remember seeing this movie. In I the saw theaters. it in theaters. I actually remember it's the same theater we go to a lot now. I saw it at Awatuki 24. Oh, funny. Um and I saw it, I, I want to say, in between Christmas and New Year's. So I didn't go and see it, like, right away. Sure. I think it was one of those things where I was on break at this point and had an opportunity to go. We would have been sophomores in, in, in high school, in high I think, school. at that time. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, I just remember I already loved Vegas, despite being – at that time, like 15. Um, but remember, Vegas was also a little more family oriented when we were growing up, too. You it's know? true. It was like the circus circuses. That was like yeah, the heyday of those. MGM and, had a theme park when I yeah. was a kid. And it was the Cirque du Soleil's were coming in. And Vegas but, has had those like phases. Yeah. And fortunately, and th- we've grown up with those phases. Well, and this one was, I feel like 2001 in, in kind of like the history of Vegas, I feel like was kind of that turning point when it started getting away from that. Uh-huh. Like with the Bellagio casino coming out, mm-hmm. it was no longer like, let's make hotels where it's cheap to stay. Right. Like, let's just get people into Vegas. Let's mm-hmm. give them free food, 99 cent, you know, T-bone steaks and right. things like or that. Or let's bring the family. Like, in. let's switch from that to like these super ornate, Casinos like Bellagio, yes. which casinos were ornate already, but this like took it to another level. It switched it. It went from like, oh, this is the pirate themed casino, or oh, this is the Wizard of Oz themed casino. To now, like, this one's got to- French architecture, but it's for the high end. And like the restaurants, like you're not going into a restaurant and spending less than a hundred dollars, right? Like that's like this was kind of like I feel like kind of in that period where vegas was shifting like right Ve- and, bellagio was the new hot casino uh-huh. all that kind of stuff and we grew up in that era now it's where i remember going to the mgm grand and going to the theme park but then as we grew up now it's like okay we're going to vegas we gotta suit up yeah you know we gotta look we gotta look sharp we gotta be sharp we gotta act like a million bucks maybe win a million bucks and that all changed after I, and i think you're right i think this probably I don't know how big of the of an impact the movie had on it, but sure. it certainly represented a shift, especially when you got Clooney and Pitt walking around in their suits and looking like the just the coolest guys on the planet. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I think that you really got a sense and feeling from it is like for me, like anytime I watch this film or even the first time I watched it, like 
it kind of felt like you were leaving like a really fun night with friends. Yeah. You know, like how like you walk away, even if you're somewhat tired or that kind of thing, like you there's just kind of like that that joy that you have from mm -hmm. from from spending that time. And for me, like that's where my mind goes with this is like I walk away from it and no, I'm never gonna argue that it's like the best like movie ever, like from a movie making standpoint and well, all the, that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, like, we're not talking about it objectively. There's plenty of things like that, but like for me, like it's just like that place that you go that's just fun. You always enjoy it. It's always a good time, that kind of thing. And I feel like that's what led to this being like the first movie that I can really remember that I rewatched over and over and over again. Like when I was a kid, like there was movies you watched over and over, but sure. a lot of times that was because like you were limited to what you had on VHS, like right. that kind of thing. Like, yeah. The only thing I have is whatever's in my closet. Whatever I could so, record. Oh, this movie's on HBO. I'm going to record it. Yeah. And then I have it. And so like this was the first film, like by this point when it came out, you know, DVDs were there. Like uh -huh. I, I remember, remember getting, getting the DVD. I got it. Pretty early on. It was and the I crappy remember, snap case. Yep. And it was uh, one of those flip ones where one side was widescreen and uh -huh. one side was, uh, was Good standard. Old standard. So <laughs> I still I still have the original one. Um, I bought the blue but yeah, box. It's, it, it's one of those that I like revisit, like especially when I got into college. Like, I mean, this all the time. This just sat in my DVD player and I would just turn it on for portions and oh, sure. fall asleep watching it. But it's just one of those movies that I can come back to over and over and over again. So obviously we, we revisit it regularly. Obviously, this is a movie that if it's on anywhere, if I'm flip, if I'm flipping through the channels or I see that it's available, it's going on the list. But you and I, personally speaking, we. we almost exclusively communicate in quotes from this movie sometimes there has been times where some of our coworkers and friends literally have no idea what we are talking about when we're speaking in quotes from this movie and yet somehow you and I are able to communicate actual like things within our personal situation accurately through these quotes sure like that's that's something special you know and we'll and we'll get into a lot of those quotes too, oh gosh we there's will. it's going to be a long section when we talk about best quotes from this film that's going to be tough um you did a little bit of research obviously being the stats and historian guy you know one of the things which when we did the first episode on jurassic park I, maybe it's just me but i feel like there has been so much dedicated to the behind the scenes of the way that that movie got made that I didn't want to focus on it. But you came up with some you found some ones that even I didn't know about. Right? Yeah. So there, there's there's a lot. So I'll, I'll kind of run through these in order. We can stop and talk about some of them. Some we'll just leave out there. Um, but I thought it was funny with Soderbergh, because um, for those of you that don't remember, Steven Soderbergh going into this film was coming off of about as peak as you could be. Yeah. Um, had Traffic and Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. And, I mean, that's like your peak level. But if you think about both of those films, they're both fairly heavy, and both of them are addressing, like, some pretty serious topics. Right, exactly. Um, exactly. And so his quote going into this movie was basically that he wanted to make a movie with 
zero social value whatsoever, <laughs> which I just thought was hilarious about this. And just thinking back to like, there really is nothing that you get out of this except for the enjoyment it's, and it's entertainment. It's comfort food. It's exactly. We talk about it all the time. We talk about the difference between a steak and a burger. You know, they're both going to fill you up. They're both going to, you know, depending on the right burger, they're both going to make you feel good. This is the perfect equivalent of that comfort food, of that that cheeseburger that is made exceptionally well. You know, it's not flat. It's it's not. It, yeah, it just makes you feel good, just like any cheeseburger would. I think that's really funny. And um, there's also a bunch of casting, too, isn't there? Like there's like um, I remember the one about Mark Wahlberg. I remember I, I remember a couple. Number one, I remember there was talk of the Affleck brothers playing the Malloy brothers. I remember hearing that. I yep. also remember hearing that Wahlberg was going to play uh, Wahlberg, uh, Wahlberg was going to play Damon's character because Clooney and Wahlberg were kind of became kind of buddy buddy on the set of Three Kings. Yeah, but it didn't wind up working out. Yeah, so number of kind of casting <laughs> could be's, should be's, what ifs, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Bruce Willis at one point was supposed to star in the movie. Um, there wasn't necessarily a specific role that he was attached to. Um, but by the time he kind of decided he was thinking of was going to do it, apparently most of the all the roles were basically filled. All the good ones. Um, all the good <laughs> roles. And he kind of really wanted to be like kind of in the tight crew from that standpoint. Sure, you know, maybe not Danny Ocean, but maybe Rusty or maybe one of the, you know, closer ones. I bet from you that. he would have made a good Benedict, too. I could see him being. I could a see good him Benedict. being Benedict. Um, yeah, like you said, Mark Wahlberg was was supposed to play Linus. Um, funny enough, he gave it up to do Planet of the Apes, and Matt Damon, who was originally supposedly linked to Planet of the Apes prior to Mark Wahlberg, mm-hmm. he didn't give up Planet of the Apes to do Oceans, but he was a, supposedly the first person that they were kind of targeting for that role. Okay. Um, and then they moved on and ended up doing Wahlberg, an and he did it over that. So that's that, an interesting alternate history. And the funny thing is, is I don't think Wahlberg could, at least where they took the character, maybe they would have done a different thing with Linus. Maybe they, he would have been written a little bit different. Maybe. But I don't know that Wahlberg can pull off the the Linus that we got from Damon. No, no way. I would no way. No way. Like, well, I don't know. Maybe because him in I Heart Huckabees. Is a true. little Linus-y. Sure. A little Linus-y. But that is a weird alternate history because now you got Damon and Clooney. They're they're like buddy-buddy. They play yeah. pranks on each other. They're doing movies together. They're doing like Suburbicon and stuff like that. You know, And obviously Suburbicon didn't pan out the way that we thought it would. But And Wahlberg's over here doing whatever the hell Wahlberg's doing lately. I don't even know. I couldn't even sure. tell you. Making Wahlburgers. Yep. So that's an interesting alternate history right there. But I do think Damon could have done... Well, I mean, granted, that movie's pretty bad. Damon could have done that. Damon I think Damon could have easily done that. Just running around going, what? What's <laughs> going on? Um, Wilson brothers were tabbed for the, the Mormon twins, the for the brothers. Malloy brothers. Uh, Lu- uh, Luke, Luke and Owen. <laughs> okay. Which I think actually would have been really funny. It, I feel like I can't really think back to 2001 on what my view was of those two, but I feel like they would have brought quite a – a bit more star power to those roles. Yeah, I suppose at so. least more so than what we got from Casey Affleck and uh, Scott Con. Scott Con. I guess so. 
at the time, yeah, they're at a the whole time. lot more recognizable from that standpoint. Sure. Um, I think they would have been a little, the dynamic would have been different because I don't think either of those two would be like Scott Kahn from that standpoint. No, both of them more come off to me as like the Casey Affleck type character. Right, they're they're. Um, brotherhood, whatever you want, tomfoolery yeah. would have played differently. Yeah. But it would have played like it does in Bottle Rocket or it would have played sure. as it does in one of the many West I think Anderson it would have worked. Films. I think it would have worked, but it would have been they would have been different type of characters. It would have definitely yeah. worked because those guys don't really fit in with the the Rusties and the Dannys anyway. Yeah. Um funny enough, they left for Tenenbaums, which was also why Danny Glover, who was supposed to do the Frank Catton role left as well all three of those all left to do royal tenenbaums um and that opened the door for bernie mac to be bernie frank mac. which i love Pulling i love out. me some danny glover but he he wouldn't have been no as good as no as Bur- bernie mac no, it would have been a different been too, i mean we might he maybe you know, he would have turned over a new leaf pour I mean, one out was, for bernie mac yeah. but we we still had danny glover kicking around yep, yep. and we lost bernie yep uh shaubo Quinn, Quinn, Quinn um, the who amazing is Yen, Yen, the amazing Yen, um, actually in real life is a contortionist and acrobat. Okay, um, this was his first film, and actually he's the only films he's ever done are the Three Oceans movies. <laughs> uh, well, I guess four because he was in Oceans Eight. Oh, that's right, he was. I forgot yeah. he was. Yep, yeah. plays a big big role in that too. Um, Clooney, uh, there's there's all the talk about. How they got everybody to actually do this film, you know, yes. how you get all these big names, right? Um, so obviously, everybody took a lot of pay cuts, but um, supposedly, one of the funny stories from it is that Clooney, because Julia Roberts just came off of Aaron Brockovich winning an Academy just, Award, all right. that kind of stuff, and supposedly, Clooney's the one that kind of reeled her in, supposedly sent her the script with the $20 bill <laughs> attached to it with a note that said, I hear you get 20 per film now. Um, oh, Clooney. Good old Clooney. Clooney, you scamp. Little, little bit of a uh, little bit of drama on the set too. You had Don Cheadle, who uh, is uncredited in the film, um, actually due to his own request. So apparently, he had some disagreement. I heard um, that the supposedly the cause that I found was due to the fact that he thought he should be uh, above credits with Damon Clooney and Brad Pitt. Right, and basically. Production said no, and so when they said no to putting them before the credits, he uh, he just said take me off of it altogether. He wound up he wound up getting what he wanted. If my, if my memory in serves me correctly, in twelve and thirteen he ends up he goes before it. Yeah, in those. Yeah, so he does end up in twelve and thirteen going where he wants, um, and being before the credits, but in the first one he's actually not even credited in it. So that was kind of interesting. Uncredited. Uncredited. Um, Cast stayed at the Bellagio during the f- filming, which naturally w- is just wild to me. If you were in Vegas and you just see all these, they're shoot. I mean, can you imagine being there as they were shooting it? Like, it's crazy. And um, I bet you, you couldn't get that way with that now. Supposedly, the, they all did quite a bit of gambling. Yeah. the The rumor was supposedly Damon or Pitt were the the two better gamblers and supposedly Clooney was terrible. Well, Damon including they talk about him losing 25 <laughs> hands straight in blackjack at one point. 
Damon's played in the world. Both him and Affleck are big poker. They guys. did after Rounders. Yeah, yeah, they did. They got he he played in the actual. He's played in the actual World Series. Both yeah. him and Affleck have played in the World Series. Of Which poker. I mean, as long as you have ten thousand dollars, anybody can play. Sure, but sure. Still. yeah, he's definitely into cards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the interesting ones I I didn't know until we started doing research on this was uh, one of the major scenes was changed. Um, so if you remember, there's the casino that they implode. Mm-hmm. And that causes the issue for Basher as far as it accidentally knocks out the power. Right. Um, And he says they did it how I would have done it, but this time they did it by accident. Now they're fixing it. Um, So his plan is uh, is changed. But the original plan was actually the hotel that was going to be imploded was the New York, New York. But being that this is 2001 and this movie came out in Mm -hmm. December, which would have only been like three months after... Uh, the September 11th attack. Uh, um, obviously, the, having uh, even if it's a ficti- you know a Vegas casino version of New York being demolished and watching buildings go down would uh, probably not. Be I wonder the best how true thing. that is, though. Do, do you think that they ed- because the movie came out in December, right? Yeah. So they weren't shooting in September, right? Do you think they edited it out and replaced it with a fictional? Do you think that they did those special effects and then we're like, oh, we got to change it? I think so. Interesting. I mean, that's 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 the gist that I got from the research that I had I had done. Sure. Um, which, if you think about it, the scenes that they film with like actual characters near it, like yeah. are just in an open field next to it, and it's in the background. So like, there's uh, Terry up on stage with right. with Tess cutting right. a ribbon, and then they actually behind show the, the crowd, a building goes down. So like. It's not like they're in the casino or anything like that. So, like, you could easily have substituted it in. That's true. Uh, that makes. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That'd be interesting to have seen how that works. Yeah. Uh, Otherwise. Funny enough, it was not included in the deleted scenes. Oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> um, and then the last one that I found on here was uh, actually another really interesting one that I had never heard. So, if you remember... When they're pulling off the heist and Brad Pitt gets on the line with Terry Benedict and Benedict says, um, run and hide, asshole. Right. If you, if you should get picked up in Newport Beach buying a $100,000 sports car, I'd, I'd be, be disappointed. disappointed. I'll be very disappointed because so, I want to I be the one who finds you. Yeah. So this is kind of a slight nod. So like a lot of people rumored that like the Terry Benedict uh, character was – loosely based off of Steve Wynn um, <laughs> okay. in general. It, I guess recent news might le- lend some credence to sure, that. Sure, sure. Uh, but I didn't even know this happened, but apparently, and I think it was in the 90s or something, um, Steve Wynn's daughter was actually kidnapped and returned unharmed. She was fine. Uh, really? Without being harmed. But he paid a $1.45 million dollar ransom. Dollar ransom. Yeah, to him, so that's, actually, that's nothing. actually paid that out in exchange for getting his daughter back. So unlike all the movies we watch, he actually got his daughter for giving the money. Okay. All right. Um, and the kidnapper was actually picked up in Newport beach, buying a $200,000 Ferrari. Oh my God. So kind of an interesting little, uh, Easter egg nod to something that actually happened. A little, little, little dark, but, uh, you know, from that standpoint, I mean, nobody so. died. No, nobody died. Nobody so died. it was innocent enough. But so lots of lots of interesting things. There was a lot of other names um, that were tossed around for for different roles and that. But those were the main ones that actually had seemed to have some actual legs to 
them being affiliated. That's why I love the them. internet, man. Like we we know. I mean, how long? You know, we didn't know this for even uh, the movie came out in two thousand and one. I bet you we didn't know half of that stuff even in two thousand eleven. Nope. You know, it's almost it's almost twenty years old. How do you do? You, I mean, I know the answer to this question. Obviously, the pod this movie wouldn't be on this episode if we didn't still love this movie. But does that change? Has it changed since we have grown up for you? You know, has it changed the way that you I mean, I know it's changed the way that you approach Vegas. But what would you say it's like how you view the movie now? What would you say? is its impact on you or, or how do you view it? I think it definitely got me more excited about going to Vegas, being in Vegas. Right. You know, I think one easy thing that you can see its effect is how many people take pictures in front of the Bellagio, Bellagio fountain. Yep. You know, not that they weren't taking it already because it's a pretty cool trademark, but sure. like how many people try to recreate like the looking at the fountain right. back to them. Um, Which is funny because nobody – folk. No, they folk that movie. The Bellagio is such a big focus of that movie, yeah. even though the Mirage and the MGM Grand are part of the heist, so yeah. to speak. Yep, yep. Um, so I think from that standpoint, it's it's that. But it, I mean, it's one of those films where that's where I think why it's so rewatchable for me is that there isn't like any heavier impact to it. Like no. like Soderbergh said, like he wanted to make a movie that <laughs> had zero social value yeah. and like. That's one of the things that's nice. Like, I don't have to, like, be confronted with, like, a serious, like, ethical dilemma, dilemma or, right. like, I'm not watching someone get murdered brutally or, like, you know, things like that right. or terrible things happen. And, like, that's one of the things that makes this just so comfort like food heat. and you, popcorn, you like, you know. You don't go through that anguish. Every, every time I watch Heat, every time, I know how the movie ends. Every time, I know De Niro leaves what's her name in the car and is like I'll be right back and every time I'm just like just go to the airport every time there's that anguish yeah. which which makes heat such an effective oh, movie yeah. but there's none of that here no especially when you know how the plan turns out and all of that yeah. I, I agree I think that for me it it and for a lot of people you know we talked about the impact that it's had on the world but the impact that it's had on you and me and you, you can see the way that People approach Vegas differently. People, Vegas is now the party city. It's the city where you go to to go to the nightlife and the clubs and all that type of stuff. And you do, you get suited up. You you go and you look like a million bucks. And that's obviously a big part of, of our Vegas excursions now and then. Um, I... Well, I don't. I'll never stop loving this movie. This movie's phenomenal. It's infinitely quotable. We're obviously still talking about it. We still use the quotes in our day to day life and whatnot. Would you say? I mean, you had mentioned before that this isn't the greatest movie ever made. Objectively speaking, sure, it's not like the best movie ever made. But films aren't objective. Yeah, you know, these are our favorites. Uh, comparing this to a Schindler's List is ridiculous you know uh, you want to talk about heavy movies and all that but can you would you like uh, if you do pull it back do you see do you find any weaknesses obviously whatever they are we overlook them but i struggle to even think about any actual weaknesses well the, the crazy thing for me is this movie's not 
necessarily short. It's 116 minutes, okay. so it's it's almost two hours. Um, but, but it's it, under. But it doesn't feel like it in any means. Like there's some movies where there's a part where it lags. But like I find myself as I rewatch it, enjoying even like maybe what some people might think is like the slower scenes. Yeah. Like when Danny goes and sees Tess mm-hmm. in the restaurant and they have that back and forth. Like mm-hmm. that to me, the dialogue in that, the that dialogue. scene is so great. It's movie stars um, being movie stars. It's one of yeah. the reasons why why Quentin Tarantino's newest movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is so good because it's just movie stars doing movie star stuff. Yeah. And this movie, I mean, it. We're, let's, I mean, let's get into some of the best parts of the movie. But for me, like, you start out this movie with with the opening sequence that's just to me like burned into my head sure like with with the opening scene of Clooney sitting there you know answering the questions it's just dead silent like uh-huh. even before you get Clooney on the screen like you hear like the door opening you know the prison door opening mm-hmm. and closing him taking a seat and then from that you get that beginning of the music and to me like it just rolls from there uh, that's one of I, I love as we go through the hindsight awards uh, it's one thing that we didn't we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit but I love that this is a light and and and, fr- and, and frothy I don't even know if that's the right word <laughs> but it's still Soderbergh directing the yeah. movie so it still has a distinct direction and a visual flair and it's and it's evident in all of these scenes but that one again like that's not how you typically start these types of movies at Mm -hmm. least it wasn't back then you know we were back in the day of spider-man and and tomb raider uh with angelina jolie and movies were different back then they didn't have this type of artistic flair and that really added to it you know in a big bad way yeah, so I mean as far as weaknesses, I mean there's not really any that come to mind. I mean sure, if I wanted to be nitpicky, like there's things that you can find on the internet like when Brad Pitt's eating shrimp. It switches from a shrimp to something else. From like a goblet to a plate. Uh-huh. Uh, which is another funny internet research that he ended up having like th- for whatever reason that scene they had to do a ton of takes for. <laughs> so Brad Pitt Ate forty shrimp Jeez. filming that scene. He's eating in every scene in this, <laughs> which movie. was actually something that Pitt um, wanted to do for the character. So like they all got to kind of like do their evolve their their yeah. characters in ways and, and give them unique traits. And and Brad wanted to make him eating in every single every, scene. Every scene, and he's so he's eating. literally eating in every single scene, <laughs> or drinking or something. That's and phenomenal. And uh, it's so good. And that scene took a lot of takes, so he had to eat a lot of shrimp. But yeah, I mean, because of the amount of takes, I think at one point, I'm sure he started out with a goblet, right? And, and then they needed switch. to bring more sh- shrimp out, and they didn't remember to give him back the goblet and put the shrimp in there. But I mean, sure, you could find things like that in like the actual movie making yeah. aspect of it. But from like an actual film and enjoyment of watching it and you know scenes and and things like that like i really don't have any nitpicks and um that's not very common to not after all these years have things that you can kind of poke holes in and right and that the, 
the nice thing about revisiting something like this is that much like, you know, we, we, we did the comparison of comfort food. We did the comparison to a cheeseburger or whatever. Unlike your favorite restaurant, you know, who might change the recipe. Like, here's a, here's a weird example. Uh, there, I remember distinctly back when Fuddruckers changed their chili. And their chili cheese fries were absolutely not the same. The good news is this movie's locked in. And every time we revisit it, it's the same great movie every time. It's yeah. perfect popcorn. And, and because time. it doesn't approach any like specific social issues or things that are going on, because it's literally a popcorn movie, like I don't think there's anything in here that necessarily ages poorly. Like I'm no. sure at some point down the line, like fashion you know right fashion's gonna look like brad pitt suits maybe aren't suits that people would be buying now sure but um at the same time like in like Lennox i'm sure Lewis some isn't the heavyweight champion exactly anymore. <laughs> there's gonna be things like that that obviously age poorly but other than that there's not really much that you can really go after no not at all not at all now we got we the best part my favorite part about what we're doing here is looking back in hindsight and assigning some hindsight awards to things like our favorite scenes, the best scenes, the best quotes, the performances. We've got a bunch of new performance uh, awards that we want to give out. But before we do, got to take a quick little ad break. Hey, good movie buddies. Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free just by hitting the subscribe button or following wherever you're listening from. So just take a second. Just one little second. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a rating. Write us a review and share the popcorn diet with any of your other good movie buddies. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, but it's going to give you access to exclusive patron only episodes like our franchise refills and all other perfect popcorn episodes from here going on. So you can hit that subscribe button, become a patron by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the popcorn diet. And last, but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, all of our articles, our reviews, predictions, and more on our website, popcorn diet podcast.com. But David, now we get to hand out the awards. Now we get to hand out one of the best parts about perfect popcorn is we get to look at these movies in hindsight. You know, when we were watching them, when they originally came out, you know, you Don Cheadle wasn't Iron uh, Patriot. He wasn't War Machine. You know, Casey Affleck wasn't an Academy Award winner. B Bernie Mac was alive. <laughs> there are things like that that have changed greatly since then. So we got a bunch of different awards to hand out. I know that you've... We, we, we're, we're tweaking them. We're, we're obviously we're going to add some awards and remove some awards. Sure. But the first one, and because this is your favorite movie, I'll let you run point on this. The first one obviously is the the favorite scene, the best parts of the movie. Yeah, and, and I and I could just lay out every single. It's scene the in whole the movie. movie number one. Um, yeah, but I I tried to limit it down a little bit. You can add any that maybe you think I missed. Okay. Um, and I will not disagree because, like I said, I could do the whole movie. <laughs> Yes. Very, um, very I already sure. mentioned, I already kind of described that opening sequence mm -hmm. of just what would you do if if right. uh, if we if you were released that whole conversation and what just that that music coming in. Um, 
next one would be the introduction of, of Rusty, of Brad Pitt, and the, the poker scene, which the best one of the fun parts of that whole scene is that here he's teaching like Topher Grace, Josh Jackson, sure, um, a number of these like quote unquote like teen beat heartthrob type, yeah, um, cold decking teen beat cover boys, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, I'm a four. You don't want four. You want to fold. I want to fold. Fold. Is that okay? Okay. Done. What are you and, doing? Uh, You're done. Dealer will take three. You're done. Shane, you got three pairs. Yeah. You can't have three pairs. You can't have six cards in a five card game. Josh. Maybe one was. Josh. Josh. I'm not talking about Dallas. Dallas. All. Okay. Reds. <laughs> yeah. What up, dog? All right. But it, obviously, Brad Pitt is the person doing this, and so the funny part is, is obviously when they leave that poker scene. And everybody rushes to Topher and George Clooney and Brad Pitt walk out and no one they just cares get to from slip that standpoint. Away. So, but that whole scene, like from him trying to teach them poker to some of the dialogue back and forth, like even funny when like Clooney's talking to Topher when Brad Pitt first comes back in and he's like, Ceremonial. Is, it di- is it difficult uh, making the transition <laughs> from TV to film? <laughs> oh, yes. It's very, it's, it's also... It's very meta before meta oh, yeah. became a thing. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, but that, that whole scene is just so great. Um, and just them conning conning those guys. I love it. Uh, next would be Ruben's house and, and him going through the Las Vegas robbery history. Before, they, before the crew is there, when they go, because we need somebody with a lot of money. Yeah, they go, and get the, they go and get the plans. And then he says, you know, we need... We need backing. We need somebody you know. with a grudge, somebody with lots of with cash to spare. Ah, Ruben. Yep. And and I could also add in, you know, the line. Like I said, I could get into saying like every scene. We're just we gonna could. We, going. I, I should. You're, you, you're right. I should probably walk back the quotes because we're going to talk about in, the quotes, but we could literally quote this whole. Movie. Exactly. So Ruben's house with the Las Vegas robbery. Um, I want to build my general aesthetic around Ruben when I hit like 55. I like it. I could see that. I could see that for <laughs> sure. Um, the, as I quote, like the assembling the team. So the following Ruben going, who you got in mind? And it yep. goes to all the clips. You got the Mormon twins with the racing, the racetrack and the, the monster truck and the remote control car. You got, um, Saul, all of those scenes are just so great. Do you have a favorite of those? Of the guys or of, of the, the introduction guys, scenes? Of the introduction scenes. Taking out Rusty because Rusty gets a little bit more than everybody else. Rusty but like gets a little bit taking more. Taking out the, the remainder of the 11. Um, so you got a favorite one of those? They're all great. The, the Malloy brothers basically define our relationship sure. very, very closely. Bashers is phenomenal. I love the bit where he's just like, go find Griggs. Go, just go get him. <laughs> and it, it's just so simple and so effective. Um, but I do want to give a shout out. There is something about the way Livingston is introduced. Like they, the FBI agents that are with him call him Radio Shack. And there's yep. something about that nickname that just defines the character that I really appreciate. You, you know what? It's I, something that I wanted to steal for like some a screenplay I was writing at some point in time. Like I wanted that to be a guy's actual nickname. Like I just I liked that touch. You know what it remind he always reminded me of that character is and I don't know whether you watched did you watch MASH at all? A little. 
so do you remember the kind of nerdy guy like that in yeah. MASH? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to – his name's Radar, I think, Yeah, Radar. It's Radar. Uh, but that's that's who it reminded me. And they even give him kind of the similar outfit. He's got the – Radar used to use that, like, little beanie hat. Uh-huh. That was commonly what he'd be wearing. Um, and that's what um, – uh, what's his name is wearing in that uh, scene when they introduce him? Yeah, Livingston. Livingston. That's what he's wearing. He's wearing one of those hats. So it's like to me, like they modeled him. He's got the glasses like radar, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So, and then they call him Radio Shack, which isn't necessarily uh, radar, but, you know, it's kind of the similar name. So that's what I always thought of in that one. Um, I also think the the horse track with Saul is is just fantastic. All of it is. It's, the, it's all great. All <laughs> it's, great. I, I don't have a favorite out of it's so hard to pick. It's like picking a favorite kid. How right? do you do that? It's probably the Malloy twins if you put a gun to my head, but uh, they're all great. Bashers is so good, too. It's true. <laughs> um, the description of the plan. So once they're all at Ruben's, you know, it says you guys get a group rate or something. And then they all go in there. Uh-huh. They talk through it, you know, smash and grab jobs. Slightly, more, slightly complicated, more complicated than that. All that good stuff. Um, setting the setting the scene there. Is, it's such an effective exposition scene because... It establishes the stakes, establishes the geography, and it also establishes what they cannot do, which is paramount for any heist movie. Well, this won't work. This won't work. This won't work. Why? 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 It sets it sets the stakes really, really well. And it's still really funny. Yep. And then obviously from that point, we go into a lot of like the actual execution of starting to put the plan in play before Uh that night. All so of like the all lane. the recon and all that kind of yes, stuff. Yes, the lane of the groundwork. And there's a lot of great scenes in that, but to me, the standout one from that is definitely the balloon scene when they create that distraction so yeah. Livingston <laughs> can go in and, uh-huh. and get the cameras. And so they're delivering the balloons, and it's he's a balloon boy. Fighting, all of that stuff. It's just so great because it's like perfect like brothers fighting, but it's also perfect like... It's a perfect Just, distraction. Absolutely. It's fantastic. You are in my face. You got in my way. I'm trying to deliver my balloons. Gentlemen. He's a balloon boy. Balloon boy. Yeah, balloon boy. You're spinning my You got the van scene when Frank's buying the the vans from Billy Ten Denim. Yes. Denim like a jean. Denim like a jean. I like that. That scene's great. The prepping Linus scene. So when Brad Pitt, when they have to make the switch from... When Clooney to Clooney being out to Linus doing it mm-hmm. and he's prepping him and he says, you know, no matter what you do, don't whatever <laughs> under no circumstances. Rusty, can you come look at this? Yep. That seems it's, great. It's again, man, I'm in awe of just how slick this movie. This movie is slick as hell. It, it's just pot firing every time. Every absolutely. Time. It's a perfect character moment. It's a perfect laugh. It's everything. Yep. It's fantastic. Um, and then you're into like uh, the actual execution of the heist scenes and, and they're all great. But the one to me that always is memorable to me is the when Damon and, and Clooney are trying to actually like get in there. They go through the elevator. Yep. You know, then they you have all this build up to them blowing the vault. They put it on there and then there's the whole. Did you check it? Did you the, check? the thing doesn't work. Yen stuck in the door. Right. Like you get some actual like drama suspense. Like, are they going to blow Yen up? Yeah. Not that you think in like this type of film, like it would suddenly take that dark turn and like right. actually blow him up. But you have to think too, like we talked about earlier, like the setting to this point was like, these films do have a little, like the bad 
guys don't always win. Like, there's usually collateral damage. Well, People get hurt. And I don't like, know all if that you, kind of stuff. I don't know if you remember this from the original, and this kind of ties into that, but in the original Ocean's Eleven with the Rat Pack, one of their crew dies. He's the old man. He passes away, and they put the money in his coffin to smuggle it out, and it, he ends up getting cremated, and they end up losing the money. Oh, that's right. Yep. And so... When this first came out, you have not only the tension with uh, the Amazing Yen, but you also have Saul getting sick. And you're not like, oh, are they going to do it? Are they yep. are they going to follow the, the, the pattern of what the original did? And obviously they didn't. But it is really smart at using some of the pre-existing knowledge and, and, and what happened in the original to fool you in this one as well. Yep. It's sure. like any good heist movie. Yep. You gotta get fooled. Yep. It's gotta be a little misdirection. Exactly. Um, the Brad Pitt, Terry Benedict back and forth over the cell phone. Fantastic. <laughs> and then uh and then closing it out when they pick up Danny from prison. Just the dialogue back and forth between him and Rusty. And that's <laughs> and that's really one of the things that just makes this movie so great is is yes. really like you feel Pitts and Clooney's like friendship on that. On, a lot on yeah. on this on the film in the movie you can feel that it's not just like oh these two people you know have good chemistry together mm -hmm. like there's some of that that i feel like has to already be there for it to work as well as it did definitely definitely i love all of these these are all great selections i want to throw in two even though i i might not pick them but you got to give a shout out to the claire de lune uh, bellagio scene at the end when they're all lined up like we did it we we succeeded we pulled off the heist and they played claire de lune and they play that song at the at the fountain now uh that's just it's iconic it's one of those just iconic let out the breath of fresh air like oh we did it scenes and i love the scenes where ocean uh, uh danny is like directly interacting with benedict where he's sitting with Julia Roberts and they're just it's just a battle of wits, even though you know Terry doesn't trust him at all and you know Clooney's gunning for him. It's just it's the little things. It's the stuff like I know everything that's going on in my casino. Oh should I, I should put those towels away then. No, the towels, towels you can, you can keep. keep. Like yep. just that rapid fire battle of wits is so fun to watch and so fun to experience. Plus, it just gives the opportunity for the hero and the villain to actually interact a little sure. bit. Uh, just it's it's a really as we said, it's a light movie, but it's really, really good at building that tension out in a big, bad way. Um, so what's with all that being said, what's the what's the winner for you, at least? What's the winner? Oh, it's got to be the Ruben. Look, scene. just out of curiosity, which casinos did you geniuses pick to rob? Bellagio. The Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand. Those are Terry Benedict's casinos. Is that right? That's right. You guys, what do you got against Terry Benedict? What do you have against him? That's the question. He torpedoed my casino. Muscled me out. Now he's gonna blow it up next month to make way for some gaudy monstrosity. Don't think I don't see what you're doing. What are we doing, Ruben? I mean, uh, yeah. there's there's some that I would think 
that I could say are more iconic, but I, it's got to be the Ruben scene. It is. It's the, <laughs> it's probably the one that we quote the most, but it's so good at, at it, the, the, the talking through the Vegas heists and walking them all through that is such a good scene. Ruben's scene is, is very, very, very good. Um, what man? I don't even know what mine might be. I think mine is probably the assembling of the team. Sure. I think introduce. There's something about introducing archetypes, introducing in very very simple terms who these characters are. Like he's the British guy who's good with explosives. He's the nerdy guy who's good with electronics. These are the two everyman, you know, goofy brothers. I love those archetypes, and I love how it sets. Just the the whole crew together. So I'm going with the the putting the team together. Who you got in mind? Uh, that's gonna, even though they kind of piggyback off of one another. Sure. I'm gonna go with that one. As I like my it. Favorite one. I like it. All right. All right. Quotes. There's a lot of them. There are. We'll, we'll kind of go through a these lot quickly. We'll, of we'll try not to quotes. Go through every single one in in detail at but the I, danger I picked of out, doing the entire quoting the entire movie exactly um i'm just going to pick out some of the highlights for me in no specific order um you have danny and 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 pitt at the bar watching the lennox lewis preview and he says saw makes 10 10 how to do it 10 how to do it don't you think and rusty literally never says a whole a word the entire scene he's literally just his <laughs> face in his arms and <laughs> And Danny just keeps talking. You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one right, more. We'll get one more. Uh, but I, we quote that one all the time. Uh, other quotes in there. Um, you got the, I think, the great dialogue between Tess and, and Danny. Mm -hmm. um, when he goes, hello, Tess, what are you doing here? I'm out. You're out of prison. Remember that day I went for cigarettes? I didn't come back. You must have noticed. You must have noticed. I don't smoke. Don't sit. <laughs> now they tell me I paid my debt to society. Funny, I never got I a never check. I never got the check. It's just so great. All these things. Um, Popping off. Linus, one of my favorite ones when he's talking to Benedict, <laughs> Benedict about Frank Catton. And he's saying apparently he's got a record longer than my. Well, it's long. Well, it's long. <laughs> um, let's There's see. so many, man. I'll let you keep rattling. I mean, I have. Obviously, we have the Ruben one. We said it's never been tried. I, I'm not going to try to try to. I don't even uh, know if we can. That's such try a to long perform clip. it. It's 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 long. Um, but, you know, it starts with the beginning where he's like, you got you out of your goddamn mind. Your minds. Are you listening it's to you? You both done. of you nuts. Trust me. It's been done. Yep. Are you listening to me? You both of you nuts. I know more about casino security than any man alive. I invented it, and it cannot be beaten. They got cameras, they got watches, they got locks, they got timers, they got vaults. They got enough armed personnel to occupy Paris. Okay, bad example. It's never been tried. Oh, oh. it's never been tried. It's been tried. A few guys even came close. There's the pep talk or the, the training that that Rusty does with uh, with Damon, uh -huh. so giving basically giving advice. You look down, you're not gonna. He's gonna know you're lying. If you look up, they know you don't know the truth. Don't use seven words when four will do. Don't shift your weight. Look always at your mark, but don't stare. Be specific, but memorable. Be funny, but don't make them laugh. 
He's, He's got to like, like you and then forget, forget you the you. moment you left his side. <laughs> and for God's sake, whatever you do, don't under any circumstances. Hey, Rusty, it's so good, man. You got the, the smash and jo- grab job. And then Rusty goes slightly more complicated. One of my favorites when uh, when Rusty's picking up Danny from prison where he says, I hope you were the groom. <laughs> I hope you were the groom. And he says, Ted Nugent called and wants his shirt back. Uh, oh, you got the, we need Saul. He won't do it. Got out of the game years ago. He'd get religion. Ulcers. You could ask him. Hey, hey I could ask I him. I could ask him. Oh, man. There's, there's a lot here. I have a couple. Um, the hard part is that there aren't a lot of these that are, like quotes, most of it is dialogue. You oh, know? Yeah. Most of it is is pa 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 conversation and stuff like that. So it's hard to focus on just one line, one time that somebody says. But you got, you know, like Frank, like you know, they might as well call it White Jack. You want me? White Jack. You want me shiny shoes? Want you want me, me smile just, for want me you? Smile for you? you? Sure won't let me deal the cards. Um. You got the Malloy, everything the Malloy brothers are saying, but, you know, the, I'm going to get out of the car and drop you like third period French. Yep. Uh, there's the, when he's, when he pitches the the whole job, when he's like, because, because the house always wins until you put it all on the line and you take the house. That whole bit of dialogue is, is really, really good. I think probably my favorite one, though. It is dialogue back and forth because, again, this is less of a character thing, but it's when Virgil and Turk are playing 20 questions. (laughs) Are you a man? Yes. 19. Are Are you you alive? alive? Yes. 18. Evil Knievel. Shit. (laughs) It's it's, it's so – they just think that they're so much smarter than each other, but they're both very, very, very dumb. Um, I – the whole Barney, Barney Rubble trouble. This movie is nothing but quotes. Oh, yeah. It's so good. But if you had to, at the risk of spending the entire rest of this episode going through quotes, what is your favorite one out of all of these? Oh, man. Tough, right? It's it's tough. I think uh, <laughs> we didn't even say... Uh, you you ever been to you ever been to Utah? <laughs> I think you dig Provo. I think you think do very you do well, well there. I this, I'll tell you my favorite. I'm gonna jump on it. I'll tell all you right, my favorite one. My favorite one is still the dialogue between like, look, we all go way back. I still owe you from the thing with the guy in the place, and I'll never forget it. And then when he says, "I'd never been to Belize," <laughs> I I just love that stuff because again, it establishes history. But it's also funny. You can use that anywhere, anytime. And it also makes me want to go to Belize. I don't know why, but it does. Um, I'm a big, big fan of that. So I'm picking that one. I'm picking that whole bit. I'll never forget you for the time with the place and all that stuff. That's mine. That's a good one. With that one. What about you? I think I'll go with the, you think we need one more. You think we need one more. All right, we'll get one we'll get more. Get one more. All right. What else we got? We got performances. Performances. We got a couple so here. We, we've got a got a handful of awards, and these will go a whole lot quicker than than our uh, than our scenes and quotes. But, sure. Um, we wanted to add a couple extras to acknowledge some 
some different great parts of these these movies we're going to be talking about in Perfect Popcorn. So um, the first one is the Behind the Scenes Award. So um, for this award, we're, we're targeting someone who's obviously not on film. Um, could be a director, could be a producer, could be person who wrote the score, could be person who did it performed a song that was especially impactful in okay. this it could be the cinematographer um any of those things uh, but someone who's not on screen um behind the scenes for me there's only one answer here okay um i think you uh, that being said soderbergh does a phenomenal job directing he, this yeah he directs it's definitely got movie. a soderbergh touch on it from an artistic standpoint soderbergh films are generally like very artistic very artistic but they're also different too like you look at the difference between this and Aaron Brockovich and sure Aaron Brockovich is very or even Logan Lucky where they're very down down to earth they're very um I wouldn't say gritty but there's a realism sure. there and he just ups his game here to but even the cool bleeds into you, the direction well and I think even the way that he shoots certain things like you have that scene where Danny and uh Rusty or driving in Rusty's car. Like right. the traditional scene would be inside the car getting views of both uh -huh. of the characters. This one is like outside of the car, like from the back, from the back it. above. Like, yes, it's a convertible, so you're kind of in there with them, but you don't see either of their faces talking right. um, as they drive. So um, just there's some artistic things that he does in there for sure. But to me, the answer is David Holmes and this music in this film. Okay. David Holmes did the score for this movie. Um, yeah, man. It's it, it, Going back to the way that this movie changed the culture of Vegas for us individually, I think it also changed the way that we, we – it certainly changed the way that I listen to Vegas. Everybody has, you know, from a generational standpoint, everybody has different ways that they – Listen to Vegas. For a lot of people, it's the Rat Pack. It's Wayne Newton. It's the old, sh you know, show tunes and songs and things like that. For for other people, it's the club music. It's the pool party mix. But for me, I take all three David Holmes soundtracks, and they are on my Vegas playlist because oh, yeah. that walking through the strip, walking through the casino, listening to that music. Now I'm in Las Vegas. So it's hard to argue with that one. Uh, it's hard to argue with that one. I think that the stuff that Soderbergh brings as a director, I, I love when Soderbergh plays with, you know, Soderbergh for the most part was this really, he wasn't very mainstream, you know. He did Sex, Lies, and Videotape. You know, he's done a lot of weird movies. He, But... And he did Out of Sight, which is just a fucking great movie. Absolutely. Aaron Brockovich in Traffic. And then I love that, like you said, he came off of those two critical, you know, an awards darlings. And then the next three movies that he directed were Ocean's 11, 12, 13. Yep. Like, that's amazing to me. And he did other stuff, too. You know, he did Che... He did the good German, like he did stuff in there, but the ones that hit and the ones that mattered, at least to us, he did these big. We're gonna bring these uh, these huge actors in, and then he does full frontal. He does, which you know, again, it is what it is. He does this movie called Bubble about three, you know, low wage factory mm -hmm. workers. 
he is not a commercial guy. He is a guy who's just like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And sometimes it's commercial. Like sometimes it it hits with the general public and sometimes it's a Netflix movie that very few people watch. He did. You know, and stuff like that. Here's another fun fact about Soderbergh while we're on the subject. He did he number one, he made High Flying Bird um direct completely on iPhones because mm-hmm. because he wanted to do it. He was the second unit director of the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. He was the one who's just like, I'm gonna direct the action and I'm gonna direct the big sweeping shots and stuff like that. Academy Award winner Steven Soderbergh was just like, I'm gonna shoot second unit on the Hunger Games. He does whatever he wants. And I just love that he's just like, I'm gonna make these super laid back, fun heist movies so as much as i love david holmes and as much as it's hard to argue there like i'm gonna i'm gonna give it to soderbergh personally all right right. that's my call all right so from there we're going to our next award is going to be for the the hans gruber award and we 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 tweaked this a little bit from our first one but Mm -hmm. um this is for who's that big break who was um doesn't necessarily have to be their first film ever like it was with Hans. Right. Um, but who is that character that from this broke out or this this film was a big break for them, a big opportunity, something that launched their career or or was a really great opportunity for them from that. Okay. So some nominations for here. You have one that this is literally their first film, and that is Yen. Yen. Yen's I think, character. I think it's also Eddie Jemison's first movie, although he had done a bunch of TV work, too. Okay, okay. Um, but I would also argue a couple people were pretty early into um, their movie career at this point. Sure. Um, one of those would be, um, as far as like a mainstream movie like this, and I would argue that for uh, Bernie Mac this kind of falls in that line. And I know um, he passes away only eight years after this, but to that point, like most of his had been like TV movies. And he had been like, he was, he's been small characters like above the rim. Uh And he's, but like, you know, this was one that I would say like was for everybody from that standpoint. And, and Friday, I guess would be one that would be for everybody too. And, Above the rim would be as well, but mm-hmm. um, so maybe it doesn't fit this quite perfectly. But to me, this like after this, you got, um, you know, you got like Bad Santa and Mister Three Thousand, and right. he gets he's obviously in, the additional Oceans movies. He's Bosley and things like that. In, in Charlie's Angels too. Like this is the same year that he starts Bernie Mac, the uh-huh. Bernie Mac show too. So um, it was kind of peak time for him at this point. Uh, yeah, they jumped when he on gets him the early Bernie there. Mac show, so. Uh, he would be another one. R.I.P. Bernie Mac. Another one that that could potentially fit into this um, realm, and again, not necessarily his first film um, yeah. by any means, but I would say, um, in this grand scheme of things, outside of Goodwill Hunting, this was another kind of for Casey Affleck. Um, oh yeah, this was fairly early on. I mean that that period from like ninety. Nine to 2001, he starts doing a lot. Uh-huh. Um, but this was another kind of more out there, like mainstream role. It wasn't like that. It was more of a showy type of role being in this cast with all these people. Oh, from sure. That standpoint. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, also not for nothing, but shout out to Scott Kahn as well, because Scott Kahn, 
comes from he's James Conn's son, so he comes from Hollywood royalty. And even though he hasn't done like a bunch of stuff in regards to film, you know, he's been he's been around. He's done stuff in film. He's shown up here or there. But dude has had a locked in steady job for ten seasons playing Dano on on the Hawaii Five O you sure. know reboot. Ten seasons the Hawaii Five O reboot. That's impressive. That's almost I mean, yes, Casey Affleck won an Oscar. Sure. He can he can but also Casey Affleck has cut, had had a couple issues floating out there, right? Sure. One could argue that having a steady job that Scott Kahn has with the CBS money that I'm willing to bet he is making, like I, one one could argue that he's He's at the top of the list there. Uh, but despite my argument, I'm still probably going to have to go with Casey Affleck. Okay. Uh, like, look at the list. Look at the list. Who else has acting Oscars on that list? Sure. Clooney, and that's it. Pitt doesn't have one. Uh, I don't, I'm fairly certain Damon hasn't gotten one yet, although my memory is hazy sometimes. Um, and then Julie Roberts, obviously, you know, got hers. But. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. So I'm going with Casey Affleck on that one. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the right call from that standpoint. I would I would argue I'll give a runner up to Yen considering these are the only movies that he's ever done. So Sure. <laughs> from that standpoint, this would be as <laughs> about as a break as you can get. Right, cuz for me like yeah, I get like that's the break. That's the big break. Je- Eddie Jemison um Shabokin, uh, like that's that's the big break. But for me, I look at it as who has who is the furthest away from where they were when they made sure. this movie. You know, in a good way, not sure. in a bad way, but in a good way. All right. Um, next up, we have um, for these awards, we have the uh, which one? Are we with well, a one scene wonder. So for the one scene wonder, this is the award for that. For one of those characters that literally they only have one scene okay. and they maximize it. Okay. It's a memorable scene. Um, could be a cameo. So it could be a big name person that makes a cameo in a movie. Um, it could be just a bit character actor that has a memorable scene. Um, we may we may open this in some circumstances to people that are in maybe two scenes, something like that. Sure. But overall, this isn't someone who's part of what you would consider the main cast. The main cast. Okay. So there's a lot. Well, there's a lot of those there's people. A, there's a number of those. But in this one, I kind of boiled it down to the some of the nominations. Okay. Um, so we got Jerry Weintraub sitting at the the uh, the table with the high with Saul table. saying, uh, I wouldn't get into Terry Benedict for too much money. <laughs> uh, That's a good Jerry Weintraub, right? actually. That's pretty good. <laughs> Um, and then you've got um, you've got the the dancer from the strip club that talks to Brad Pitt. What's her name? And Holly. He, and he says, "Say hello to your mom for me." <laughs> and Say hello says, to yourself. She's on in five minutes. <laughs> yep. Um, and then you have um, <laughs> um, let's see, who am I missing on my list? For you got uh, you got Billy Ten Denim. Billy Den- Tendenum. Joe Ledoux as Billy Tendenum. You got him. Who's selling the car to... Uh, to Frank and, to the, Frank and the Malloy brothers. And the Malloy brothers. And then our favorite one... I th- Well, I don't know if it's our favorite one, but my favorite one is Richard Reed as Bucky Buchanan. Bucky Buchanan from Saratoga. Like, just... He literally has, like, two lines. Saul, Saul Bloom, it's me, Bucky Buchanan from Saratoga. Like, that's... I don't... 
that's an ef- that's an efficient performance. It is. It is. I have. I know who mine is, though. All right, go for it. I and you can tell me if this is disqualified or not, but it's toe for grace. Toe for grace. Okay. Toe for grace. No, number one. Toe for grace as he is in here right now, but then he comes back in the second one, and is even better. Uh, but I'm not letting that bleed into this one. Like I just think that whole scene is phenomenal. And Topher Grace, the, the 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 ability to make himself look like a total dickhead is. I also really like Josh Jackson in that. Josh, scene. all when, of them. When when he uh, and then who was the other one? The so guy from Seventh Heaven. That's a whole funny story in and of itself because you have five people there. You have Holly Marie Combs. Yep. Who is mostly known for being in Charm, Pick Offenses. She's on Pretty Little Liars. Yep. You had Topher. We all know Topher. You had Joshua Jackson. You have good old Pacey. He's doing the affair now. Yep. But then you have Barry Watson. He was in Seventh Heaven, he I was think. In Seventh Heaven. And hasn't he he's was in a dog's way home this year, but hasn't exactly been the big one. And then you have Shane West, who was Walk to Remember. He was Tom Sawyer, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, all, all these people were supposed to be like he's in kind of the up and coming like heartthrob. Obviously, Holly's, you know, not a guy, but at the right. same time, these were up and coming young stars from that right, standpoint. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I I like Barry Watson's part in the poker game too, when he's like four. And he's yep. Like, you don't want four. You want a full. You want f- you want full. Is all that, is reds. That good? Is that good? Every <laughs> single one of those people now are in their forties. Crazy, <laughs> crazy. So I'm giving it to Topher. Who do you give it to? Ah, uh, man. I think I think I gotta go with uh, with Bucky Buchanan all from right. Saratoga. From Saratoga, we if, if nothing else for the fact that we quote it all the time. We but quote it, it all the time. I, I'll agree with you. It, it's Topher, though. The we, right answer is Topher. As much as I want to give it to Bucky, it's Topher. We carry that like we we carried that all the way into when our beloved Twenty Four, when we watched Twenty Four with Jeffrey Sutherland. There was a character on there whose name was um, Bill Buchanan. Bill Buchanan, and we would just call him Bucky Buchanan. It's true. Any Buchanan ever is going to be Bucky, Bucky Buchanan. Buchanan. Absolutely. All right. Funny um, funny fact, James. Bucky Barnes, I think his middle name is Buchanan. I don't know. I, I've just pulled that one out there. All right. We, we got to wrap this thing up. So Pull, we, up. we we have uh, – typically we'll do a Brian O'Connor award, which is the award for someone who this was their last great film or last film of relevance. That is his middle um, name, Buchanan. Nailed it. Don't have We don't have anybody that necessarily fits that criteria, but we will pour one out for the people in this film – Bernie Mac. Pour one out for Bernie Mac. As well as as Weintraub. Pour one out for Jerry Weintraub, who was who produced this movie too, Absolutely. not for nothing. Yeah, and he's in he's in all three of them. Elliot too. Gould's still kicking around. Carl Reiner's still kicking around. Like yep. shouts out to all of them. Absolutely. Um, shouts out to Siegfried and Roy. All right, so we got to pick an MVP though. So our last award, obviously, who who wins this Jesus, movie? It could man. be a person. It could be Las Vegas. Um, it could be. Soderbergh, what do we got? I thinking? I think, dude, that's really hard. I think it's not Soderbergh because he won, he won with when he won his Oscars. Like that's him winning. Um, I think it's Clooney. Honestly, I think this was the start of Clooney, Clooney, of cool guy Clooney. Of peak icon of cool 
Clooney. Brad Pitt, again, they go hand in hand, but Brad Pitt was young, hot Brad Pitt. Clooney, before this, he had done... He, he had done Batman and Robin. In the five years, five years before this, he was doing One Fine Day. He was doing Batman and Robin. He was doing Out of Sight, like Three Kings. He did A Perfect Storm. He did Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So he was gaining momentum. This movie shot him into the stratosphere because then after this, he does the Oceans movies. He does Good Night, Good Luck. He wins the Oscar for Syriana. He's doing Michael Clayton. He does all that stuff. So I go Clooney on this one because... This set him up. He was good. He was he was a star, but this made him an icon. So I go Clooney. And as there are plenty of arguments to be made, plenty of arguments to be made for a lot of actors. But that I mean, how do you argue with that? Like that's he's he was good, and this shot him into the universe. That's my call, Clooney. What about you? I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit abstract here. I'm going okay. Vegas. I, I mean, I get it. And and the reason I'm going Vegas is for this reason. I don't know that there's another film that highlights Vegas in a way. Like, even though this is all about stealing from Vegas, sure. like the way that it displays it from the, you know, the cut scenes in between where mm-hmm. you see people walking quickly through there and the crowds in there. You're living like the in the boxing casinos. match. You're living in the casinos. You're seeing kind of like the excess of Vegas in that. Yeah. It just... It looks clean in this movie, despite, you know, people maybe knowing otherwise. <laughs> but, like, I think it did take it from Vegas is, like, a cheap place to go gamble, mm-hmm. get cheap food, go to strip clubs, things like that. Like, right. all the things that had previously been associated or right. even, like, more the kitschy, like, themed casinos and things like that that took over, like, in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Like, this kind of brought it into, like, this is a cool place. Like, yeah. From the standpoint of like, cool people go here. It's a cool place to be. It's fancy. It's all those types of things. Like, to me, like this just shows off Vegas better than any other film that I can think of. Like, and it doesn't I, discount any of that stuff too, you know, because he goes to the stripper to get the information. Yep. They go to one of the Cirque shows to see uh, the amazing Yen, or they go to a circus, a circus. or one of them yeah. and stuff like that. They they're all over the place, and it it does pay tribute to a little bit of everything. Yeah. In Vegas. So I'm going Vegas. Uh, I think of it's just so hard on the actors in this movie, especially like in in 12 and 13. I think there's it's easier to pick like a standout performer from them a right. little bit more. This one's just so tough because it's Clooney's movie for sure in this one. Yeah. But I, I find myself gravitating to to Rusty more than than him or even. uh the Malloy twins, I feel like, stand out so much I, fi- I gravitate towards the Malloy. Yeah, if the question is, like, who who do you gravitate towards or who your favorite character is, sure. like, it's the Malloy twins. Yeah. It's, that's but I, I think with Clooney, this also, you know, and I, I didn't do enough research into Clooney and, and his movies and that, but I feel like this movie was the first one where I felt like this movie getting done has Clooney written all over it. Like, right. it doesn't happen if Clooney's not involved to some point. Now, do you think you knew that? when you watched it or do you think that's that's in hindsight like and you look at it back in hindsight i think the thing that i remember when it was coming out was just the news around like clooney and other people taking big pay cuts to make this film happen which wasn't something that i remember getting much noise from another movie before that like i don't remember there being a lot of talk of like oh like 
this actor really wanted to do this movie, so he took a pay cut, sure. talked his friends into doing it. Like we hear more of that, and maybe that's just that information becoming more accessible now. Yeah, maybe. But from there, from that point forward, it seems like Clooney just does the things that Clooney wants to do, <laughs> versus like, sure, I'll do a chick flick, or sure, I'll do this film, like that kind of thing. Right. From there, it seems like. Clooney gets behind the camera a little bit more and involved in production a little bit more from this mm -hmm. film. And like, it really feels like this movie in a lot of ways kind of describes Clooney in a lot of ways of how he is. It's very, it's a very Clooney movie. Like yep. that's for sure. Well, before we go, obviously if you, I mean, we're talking about oceans 11. If you get to hankering to watch it right now, we want to tell you where you can check it out. Uh, with there's no advertisement here. There's no nothing. We just want to tell you where you can see it. You can rent it from almost anywhere, whether it be Apple, Amazon, YouTube, Google, whatever. But you can, if you are subscribing to Freeform right now, you can see and watch it and stream it on Freeform. Or you could just go out and buy it. Buy physical media. Go buy a Blu-ray. Go buy the old DVD, whatever you want. But that is going to do it for this episode of Perfect Popcorn. Uh, remember... Remember, don't forget, remember that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to your smart device for free as soon as they are out just by hitting the subscribe button, following wherever you're listening from. So just take a second. Just hit that button. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Share The Popcorn Diet with your good movie buddies. Don't forget that this is the last free episode available to everybody of Perfect Popcorn. Everything else is going to be uh, given out exclusively to our patrons. So if you want to become a patron of the podcast, give a couple dollars, help us improve the podcast, and get some free episodes. Hit us up at patreon.com slash the popcorn diet of course we don't want don't want you to forget that you can follow us on facebook on twitter on instagram at the popcorn diet and last but certainly not least you can find all of our regular episodes articles reviews oscar predictions and more on our website popcorndietpodcast.com but for the canadian machine mr david melhorn i am your very best good movie buddy rick williamson and we'll see you next time with another good movie on a regular episode of the popcorn diet Adios.